And welcome to We Are The People Radio here on Thursday, January 24th in the year of our Lord, 2023 in God's country. I love that. Today, uh, we are having a, a really awesome conversation. Uh, one of my favorites, like I have a huge fascination um, with with Karl Marx, with Marxism, and particularly with what happened in the Soviet Union uh, in the, in when they had the, basically Stalin, Lenin and Stalin come and just literally wipe out the middle class and completely destroy Christianity, completely turn God upside down and turn and move a state from worshiping God to worshiping government. Uh, I, have, I spent about a year back in 20, it's a while ago, 17, 2018, writing a book on that. Never finished it. It's, I mean, it's actually pretty close to finish, but never finished cleaning it up and getting it done, but I need to do that. But it's been a huge topic, a favorite topic of mine, and especially when you look at what's going on today. And so today, well, I'm very excited. Uh, to We're going to be talking about that specifically, and we have a, a really exciting guest, uh, Julie Beeling. Yeah. And she has written a book called Beneath Sheep's Clothing, The Communist Takeover of Culture in the USSR and Parallels in Today's America. So I'm really excited to have her today to come on. And I think you are me fascinated when you really understand what happened in the USSR. You're going to, and then the parallels today, you are going to see that what's going on today with the LGBT things. With the with this with all the stuff on gender with with the left versus the right, which you know it's 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 it really seems like it's well I think the point is this I think what you're going to see is this is being manufactured everything happening on is is being manufactured you know it is you know they're creating division and I think what we're I'm excited because as you as you as we listen today as you watch today you're going to realize that wow nothing happening right now is a coincidence. And it is all by design, and it is not, and it has been done in the past. So, before we jump into that, um, we have been getting banned and, and continue to get strikes from YouTube. It is only a matter of time before they take this channel down. So please follow us on Rumble. You can find us on Rumble on We Are the People UT. Uh, you can also find us on Podbeam, Spotify, and Apple Podcast. Um, most of that you can find us under We Are the People UT, as in for Utah. But you can also follow us on Instagram. Same thing. We have the people UT. So please follow us, especially jump on, on Rumble. We have imported all of our videos on there. So we're trying to start to get people, you know, start moving there because tyranny thrives and grows on, on lies. And the thing that's, that tyranny fears most is people who will stand up and tell the truth. And they will censor you. They will do everything they can to get to stop that. But we refuse to comply. We refuse to be silenced by by YouTube and by big tech. So uh, we are going to keep saying what needs to be said regardless of, of what happens. So please, you know, start to just get bookmark us on Rumble and when we disappear on YouTube, we'll be there. So without further ado, welcome Julie. Thank you so much for having me. I surely appreciate it. Yeah, we she and Julie came, you know, she uh, spent all the day traveling here today. So we're grateful to have you here. So uh, tell us briefly why your interest in the Soviet Union, in Marxism, and America. Sure. So in the late 90s, I was a missionary in Russia, and 
Um, it was a very eye-opening experience. Um, definitely met a lot of amazing people. I met a lot of deeply traumatized people, people who had sp spent years in the gulag. There's one man that comes to mind, um, a German man. That I lived in, I was in a city called Saratov that was a lot, had a lot of ethnic Germans. He had spent time in Nazi prison of war camps during World War II. Um, he was captured by the Nazis. And then when he was released, then the Soviets put him in the gulag because he was ethnic German and he was a spy, supposedly. Anyways, he was a double amputee, probably 80 years old, and had, had a very awful life, honestly. That's just one example of people that I met. Just a lot of deeply traumatized people, traumatized by communism and the history of all the things that occurred. So you'll hear her talk about gulags several times throughout the day. So for those who do not know what gulags are, gulags are, are the equivalent of the uh, Nazi uh, German camps. It's, they were work camps that uh, they literally basically, when you were arrested, and, and which you will get into the arrests, uh, it, was these, it was basically torturous camps. Yeah, I mean, minus the gas chambers, but otherwise, and, mm -hmm. and more people. Torturing, yeah. I mean, mur I mean, I mean, so many people died in there. Absolutely. And, uh, and it's, I mean, all you have to do is read the Gulag Archipelago by Alexander Schultzenitz, and, and you will be terrified. Yeah. Like, I think reading that, the thing that blew me away about reading that and learning about the Gulags is our minds can't even imagine the, the types of, of, of cruel torture cruel ways that they, they they found to torture people absolutely i mean when that's your job is to torture people you get really creative in ways that are just sick and and almost i mean it, it makes you sick just reading about the ways that they tortured those people in the gulags so Definitely. um history repeats itself so the stuff we're going to talk about today is is if, if especially when you realize the parallels you're going to start to, you're going to be a little bit, this is, this is, this is wild. So yeah. tell us about your book. Yeah. So after, after my mission, I decided to pursue a dual master's in Russian and East European studies and Russian language and literature at Florida State. And I ended up writing my master's thesis on underground Christian movements in the Soviet Union and their survival tactics and the tactics of the Soviet state to destroy them. And I definitely, one other little story from my mission, I had met People here and there, first of all, out of probably a thousand people who I met who I asked if they believed in God, only one person said no. There was one wow. person I met who said they were an atheist. Everyone said yes, they either believed in God or they were open to it. And numerous people, probably, I don't know, dozens of people I met that said that their grandmothers took them out into the woods to baptize them in secret during, you know, while, when they were growing up in the Soviet Union. And their grandmothers teaching them faith was a very common, th very common thread. But I met this um, family that were Seventh-day Adventists, and they invited us in to pray with them, and usually I was teaching people how to pray. Instead, we were taught how to pray by this, this Seventh-day Adventist grandmother um, who had this just massive faith. The roots were so deep. Very obvious that her family had maintained faith throughout the Soviet era. And I met other people that had maintained the faith in other ways, and it was very fascinating to me. So that's why I began researching that. And um, really delved into the three major tactics to destroy Christianity that the Soviet Union used um, from the end of World War II up until the end of the Soviet Union. And um, I spent two years up to my neck in primary source material, and it was very depressing, I do have to admit. Um, I did cry a lot. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, And yeah, it took me two years to write my thesis and do all that research. I was also able to go back to Russia and do a study abroad and 
um, interact with some of the underground Christian groups that I was researching. And um, I was at the Bolshoi Theater with my study abroad group with Florida State, and I ended up, they, they sat me separate from everyone else for some reason, and I ended up sitting next to this guy who was a member of the exact underground Pentecostal group that I was researching for my thesis. Wow. And they were still in operation and still operating in secrecy, but he was able to get me in to their service, and then I was able to get a lot of materials that they had written about their history and translate them and use them for my thesis, which that material, some of that made it into my book as well. So my book, um, Genesis, was um, many years later when I began seeing that there were some of those same tactics that the Soviets used against Christians were happening in America. And uh, what triggered that was seeing in 2008 a very, very highly unpopular fringe religious sect in America um, had their premises raided by tanks and SWAT teams, even though they were nonviolent, and then had all their children removed from them without any accusation against anyone, without any evidence of any specific person um, being abusive and just taking all the kids. That was one of the things that the Soviets did very commonly to Christians, um, the Baptist, Pentecostals, the underground um, sects that, that, re that refused to follow um, the guidelines that the Soviet Union had set out. They would have their kids taken and put in state orphanages. So, so Karl Marx was, was you know, overtly anti-God. Uh, he yeah. said he was, you know, waging war against God. And uh, Marxism is an anti-God religion. Um, <clears throat> and not just anti-God, but actually satanic. Yeah. Uh, why... Besides the fact that he was anti-God, why is was Christian? Why was there during the Soviet Union, uh, during that time of, Car of of Lenin and Stalin, why was there? Why was the church seen as a threat? And not, it wasn't just Christianity; it was also uh, Judaism. Why was yeah. faith in God a threat to communism? Well, you look back in Russian history, and what were the power structures? You know, Marxism, of course, seeks to tear down the existing power structures so that they can set themselves up as the new power structure. The, the symbol of the Russian monarchy or the Russian um, state, it still is today. It's a two-headed eagle. One of the heads is the monarch, um, the other the government, the other head is the head of the Russian Orthodox Church. So the Russian Orthodox Church and the monarchy of Russia were, were intimately connected and kind of co-ruled co the nation. So of course the Russian Orthodox Church was a major um, target um, for destruction in the early days of the Soviet Union. But um, yeah, all religion broadly, but Christianity in particular um, had a, a special place in, in Marxist heart, to special hatred towards Christianity. And um, I think because it's the most, it's one of the biggest threats to that agenda for people to um, have true faith in God and faith in Jesus and faith in a, a future going to heaven, a utopia of sorts. Yeah. So, and, and it's also a loyalty. It's a loyalty to, yeah. to God. It's, yeah. it's a, <clears throat> and it, in Christianity and, and most solid religions teach that the soul is, is divine, that the, the individual worth of each person. And if, if you're a tyrant, the, the idea that each individual is, has the seeds of divinity, that means each individual is a threat to you. Yeah. Um, and if there is a God, that means you that is the source of your rights. Well, you can't, if, you, if, you're, if there is a God, then you can't be God. So you have to tear down God so that you can set yourself up as the new God. And, you know, again, 
when we talk about parallels, you look at today, you know, over the last, you know, 70, especially 50 years, there's been this, this, this war to get, remove God from the courts, yeah. remove God from the classroom, remove God from everywhere. Because if there is no God, where, where, then, the, then that means that your rights come from the government. And that, is, and that is why there is a war right now on, on even here in America, on God. Because, again, if, if there is no God, then the source of your rights is the state. Yeah. And, and, it's, and it's interesting because you see it, you know, this war on God, not just on God himself, but on, on the principles of, of Western, you know, uh, civilization, on the, idea, on the ideas of truth, on the idea that, there, that that's of marriage being between man and woman. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, almost all the ideas of, of two genders, of, of, you know, that all these ideas that have been kind of historically known as truths, we now have the government trying to come and turn upside down because if they can turn that upside down, then they become, then they are now the new God who gets to say what's true and what's not rather than the God of the universe. Absolutely, yeah. Destroying the family and the binary genders, that's, that is highly destabilizing. And also hyper, trying to hypersexualize children. There's nothing more destabilizing to a society than that. Yeah. So, and it's crazy to watch that happening. So tell us a little bit about the premise of your book. Tell us about, mm -hmm. uh, so you obviously has to do, you talk about um, the war on Christianity. So kind of walk us through the progress there, the, uh, the flow of, your, of the book. Yeah, so in the first part of my book, I focus on um, material for my thesis, which was the, the Soviets, the underground Christians in the Soviet Union. I focus on the three main tactics that the Soviet government used um, to try to destroy Christianity, which of course they didn't succeed. Um, step one is propaganda, anti-religious propaganda, pro-communist propaganda. Of course, they seized control over education at all levels, entertainment, the arts, at all levels. Any artists who insisted on writing a poem or producing a sculpture or a piece of art that didn't glorify communism, they were out. They, they, that was not allowed. And um, grabbing control, of course they had, they even had kind of in the style of missionaries, they would have like proselytizing communists go out into the countryside to preach to the peasants and go into the- intellectuals. The, yeah, and they, they just, there was, Mass propaganda at all levels, the propaganda posters, you know, the Russian people were very used to um, being taught in the churches visually. The icons in the Orthodox Church are very important, and so the, the communists' answer to that is the propaganda poster, um, very prevalent throughout the Soviet Union. So, and then movies, every, the news, everything, every aspect of um, dissemination of information the communists had full control over. You know, it's really cool. When I was running for office, we used to uh, <clears throat> show a, uh, in fact, we'll show it on, this, on the screen here in the, uh, but uh, we used to show a example of Russian propaganda where it would show the, uh, the farmers as, as, the, as the hardworking people and, and looking strong and healthy and young. And then the, the, the uh, what they called the kulaks, the right. farmers. Uh, the slightly more well-off farmers. Yeah, the middle class. Yeah, so you had the people in poverty as, as sorry, the, sorry, it was the people in poverty who were the, you know, who were young and, and, and were resisting against the farmers in the middle class who were responsible, you know, and it made them all look big and heavy and with bags of money on their shoulders as they were the ones robbing, the middle class was robbing the, the poor. And, right. you know, you, and you can see from the, in the images, some, we'll, we'll have images here in the, in the show, but uh, you can see in the images, the, the propaganda, it was very clear that you had the government trying to set the people at war with themselves, trying yes. to destabilize 
the country so that once they were the people were at war with themselves and this and then the nation was unstable that allowed the boot of the government to step on the middle class and then start arresting them and, and using the uh that civil unrest to yes. accomplish their means and you look today yes and it's exactly the same thing going on you and see that's marxism that's it is oppressed versus oppressor yes yes and it's and who is the target again it's 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 who is the financial backbone of this country it's it's middle class it's small business owners it's you know going after the white male uh it's you know it is a very clear i mean it's the same strategy and, and you've got the news way more effective now than what they were able to do during i mean think about it just how many years ago was it that we put a black man in the most important office in this country the most highest esteemed office that we could offer to anybody for two terms in a row for eight years we put we gave that to, to barack obama right uh and then it was interesting that once we put him in power that's when all of a sudden they started pushing this the propaganda that oh we must be that we're so racist yeah, I'm not a fan Come of on. Obama. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of red flags with Obama. Red flags, no pun intended. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, Marxism. So yeah, it's, the, it's, it's a playbook for tearing down a society so a new power structure can come in and take control. And you have to... And oppression certainly is a, a common theme throughout history. It's not hard to find some oppressed people any time, anywhere you look. You can locate a group of oppressed people with Marxism, and you you agitate them, and you harp on how they've been victimized, and harp and harp, and you agitate them to go and tear down the structures of power. And with um, in the Soviet, how the Soviet Union was um, came to be, of course, that was the proletariat versus the bourgeois. They they helped tear down the the monarchy, the Russian Orthodox Church, and any power structure, the kulaks even. But here today, you know, we are now dealing with woke neo Marxism. So the enemies, the oppressors, we have, it's whiteness. What does that mean? What does that even mean? So even a black person who exhibits whiteness can be considered a, a target, you know, is a problem. Right. And because whiteness supposedly um, is at the root of so many ills. And then, of course, the family, the binary genders, um, just a man being a man, a woman being a woman, and them being... Falling in love and getting married and having a family—that is, that has to go, according to these neo-Marxists, woke neo-Marxists. And it's very tricky, and they're brainwashing our children um, broadly throughout the culture, in the schools. Um, even you know, it's 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 insane. It's literally insane. I wrote most of my book between 2009 and 2011. I didn't finish it at that time because I just it, I couldn't finish it. And the reason I couldn't finish it, I realized when I finished it last winter, exactly a year ago right now I was finishing it, is because some more things needed to develop. Yeah. And boy, have they developed. In Give us years. some examples that you see that have shocked you the most as far as parallels here. Well, in addition to the, to the propaganda and the taking over, I mean, we have... What is the treatment of Christians in America in the entertainment? It's the only group that it's okay to constantly malign all throughout television, movies. Mm. And it's okay. It's totally free game against Christians to mock and deride. You can't do that to any other group. Um, and that's been the case for a few decades now, and it's, of course, gotten worse and worse through time, portraying Christians as either um, naive simpletons or as oppressor, like oppressive, like the oppressive parent that's forcing their child. 
or as the, the crazed maniac, you know, with the, with the automatic rifle and wearing the rosary, he's gonna go and like shoot down, gun down a bunch of people. Those are three common motifs um, for Christians to be treated in our entertainment. And it really, it's, it's almost even worse than how Christians were treated in the, the movies and the productions in the Soviet Union. Um, what's happened in our schools, my goodness. Um, I mean, I was, I was writing about this over 10 years ago before wokeism, and it was still bad enough. And you add wokeism into the mix, because it's so very crafty. So very crafty. Not only does it harp on, I'm, I'm one of these people that I understand that people who are part of a historically oppressed group, I, I do believe there's generational wounding that people can carry. And I do believe that's a thing. And so I don't want to minimize anyone's pain, but to take that and to harp on it and poke at it and try to agitate. And then yeah. what they've done also with wokeism, as I'm sure you're well aware, they not only want to to mobilize people who have felt victimized, but they mo want to mobilize mainstream Americans, primarily children, because to make them feel guilty. But they can atone for their sin of whiteness or heteronormativity or cisnormativity by then joining the bandwagon and becoming an ally. Right, becoming oppressed themselves. You don't, you know, either you're a, either you're a white oppressor or you can belong to one of these groups that's oppressed and you can help fight yes. the, the, the whiteness by becoming an anti-racist or becoming trans. You can become yeah. trans. You can become LGBT. You can become one of these celebrated groups that yeah. is a that is a that is a victim. And then all of a sudden you now can rail on the oppressed instead of being one of the oppressors. Exactly. And there's a feeling of virtue that <clears throat> this crazy propaganda is is teaching our children that they're more virtuous if they go this route and become part of that group, become an ally and and, you know, you look at these Antifa, these kids that are caught up with Antifa, and a lot of them are trans. Really and truly, the queer theory and gender, the, the queer theory and gender theory, a part of woke Marxism, um, that is the most frightening to me. And, Why? Well, I've gotten a lot of my information on this from James Lindsay, who I'm sure you've <clears throat> James Lindsay come across. James Lindsay yeah. And um, my goodness, it's frightening. Um, so with queer theory and gender theory, that's where there's, there's books, there's all in the Disney shows and, and with, within our schools, within even the social and emotional learning programs in some cases, that they're, they're showing how these groups have been victimized and teaching the kids that um, <sighs> it's basically con trying to convert kids and make it cool to be either gay or trans and then it's turning them against mainstream society and helping them feel alienated from mainstream society, making them feel alienated from their families and their religions. And that not only are some of these kids the ones, for instance, that perhaps go through gender reassignment surgery and whatever, I guess they don't call it that anymore, that's the old name for it, gender affirming surgery. Care. <laughs> yeah, right, it's just whatever. Those kids, you know, and some of that's happening now, they get maimed and they're adults and they regret it, but these kids, they're not gonna be able to, many of them, be able to marry and have kids later. And also all of this alienation from mainstream life, it's, it makes them more easily radicalized politically, more easily to be recruited into groups such as Antifa. And Antifa is, they're just cannon fodder for the Marxist revolution. That they're expendable, the powers that be do not care about them one iota. And they're just using them. Absolutely. 
So it's frightening. And, you know, Antifa had been laying low for a while. I guess they've just surfaced. But um, I think that's a real threat. I think that's a real threat. So tell me about, uh, <clears throat> obviously, pushing this. Again, this is the same thing they did in the Soviet Union, but pushing. Why is, because a lot of this stuff, you know, people say, well, what's wrong with the LGBT movement? And, you know, one of the challenges and one of the things that the Soviet Union was hell-bent on destroying besides the notion of God was the family. In the early years. It, they, they <clears throat> in the early years. They courses later on, but yeah. Yeah, the, well, once it became detrimental to their nation. Yeah. Um, but they were hell-bent on destroying the, the family and tearing, you know, you know creating no-fault divorce um, because what they, just like whether it's Hitler, Stalin, Lenin, Mao, they want the children. They want the youth. Then they do not want kids being raised by parents where parents can teach them values. The state wants to raise them. And <clears throat> you look what's going on right now is, you know, all this, you know, was they're pushing it, you know, I think it's 20% now of Generation Z identifies as LGBT. 20%. Yeah, that's How do you have a family? How do you have a family? And this thing is, is what they're doing is they're destroying the family. Yeah. If I don't know what gender I am or if I'm, if I'm some crazy number gender and you're a crazy number gender, how do two people come together and have a, have a family? They may find a way to have children, but you're raising now children in, a, in, a, in, you know, in a family that's falling apart. Dads are no longer there. And who's there to pick up and raise those kids? It's the state, which is that is the end goal, one of the end goals of, of, this, of this movement of destroying people's sexual identities yes. is because once they've lost their identity as a man or a woman, as a husband and wife, their chances of having a successful family is very, very low. Absolutely. And, and now you've got children who become dependents on the state when that's what the state wants is they want to raise those kids. Yeah. And what, what it's really crucial to understand is that all of this is being implemented on the backs of any pains that any gay or trans people have felt. They're, they're using, this agenda is using them as human shields for this agenda. Yeah. Like, see, look, these people have been oppressed, so now we have to go into the schools and we have to have books for kindergartners on how Johnny wants to become Jane. And we have to do this because look at these oppressed people over here. There's a lot of sexualizing going on in our kids. T t it was that something that uh, is that do you see, is that a Marxist uh, thing that that we saw in in Soviet Union? Talk, let's talk about that. It, I didn't study that with the Soviet Union. However, I did learn about it with um, some of the cultural Marxists a little bit late, slightly a little bit later. There was oh gosh, the dude from in Hungary who went in. Oh, I'm sorry, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. This I think believe in the 1920s or like 19. It was after the the Soviet Union had been established. They tried to have a communist revolution in Hungary and they failed at that time but the guy came up with the idea to go into the schools and teach very graphic sex education and in the case of Hungary the parents wanted no part of that and they ousted that regime and they were very shocked and horrified and so good for them they kicked that out but yeah hypersexualizing children um, again that is one of the most destabilizing things you can do and of course, one of the most traumatizing things you can do also, and, and prepare children to be traumatized. Right. And, and what assaulted. is that? And what is that? I mean, statistically, children who are sexually traumatized end up becoming sexual deviants. Yeah. I mean, there's it is, and again, it's what are they doing to society? They're, it all in the end is breaking down, destroying the family. Yeah. And you, again, you destroy the family. 
and the, and then this and that is the role of the state. Yeah. That is what the state wants. That is what power wants. It wants not just to be a governing body. It wants to rule, and it wants to rule the thinking, the education, the mindset, the the ideology of every single individual. It wants absolute power, and the family stands in the way of that. Yes. So how, so anything they can do to do to destabilize the family, sexualizing the children. I mean, it, it's what's happening in America. This is not just coincidences like what's happening just oh randomly this stuff's happening or just oh just no this is all strategically planned extremely strategic and you know i'm i was um participating with some awesome parents i'm in from washington county and we had a group of parents that i got involved with that were pushing our school board down there to remove those um horrific books from the school libraries and we did have some successes with that and that's something that i strongly encourage people wherever you live um to find out i mean there's there's a, a website, ratedbooks.org, that specifically with Utah especially, they have um, every school in the state, I believe you can click and see which books that would be rated like NC-17 and above um, that are in school libraries. And it is shocking. There was a book in a, in a school library in one of the high schools in St. George that's been since been removed. But this book taught, taught kids how to set up an account on sex apps to, to meet up with adults for illicit sex and step by step wow. here's how you set up your profile yeah it's sick and Sav, will you add some uh, some photos there of some of the books um i mean because it shows kids having teaching these books are teaching these kids how to have anal sex oh it's i mean it's, it's insane like it, cartoons children not just teenagers children, children little children it's unbelievable and we can't this is the biggest issue with Utah. I'm sure you've harped on this a lot. We can't be naive anymore thinking that our leaders have our back. Some of them do, but we can't assume that the people in charge are just going to take care of everything. We, well, we have to be proactive. Because who are the people in charge? That's the question. Who are the people in charge who should be watching you know, over and, pre and preventing this stuff? And that answer is you. Yes, citizens. That is us. You yeah. know, we tend to think of people in authority, people that we place in authority. That's, that is simply us giving people authority to act on our behalf. They are not above us. It is not their job to protect our kids. It is our job to watch over them. It, right. you know, and I think that's where our thinking is. You know, and I think our, the education system, in fact, we should talk about the education system because the education system has really trained us over several generations to view the civil servants as authority figures right and, and to almost bow down to them and, and whatever the teacher says is right whatever whatever the governor says oh yes you know whatever my city councilman says or my you know my authority figure is we bow down to authority and that's taught and that and that's not american right that's an idea that started in fact we should talk about the about john dewey and where where the school system kind of went off track and how we got to this type of thinking because there's a reason when when covid started going around and all of a sudden it was like the billboard said this, a doctor in a lab coat said this, a scientist said that, so we all humbly, oh, well, I'm a, you know, all the churches, we mutter obey. We, that's the highest authority of science, let's all obey. Oh, the billboard said it, let's all obey. Well, where did this type of thinking come from? Right. How did we become a nation of sheep? Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Where, where, wow. What would you say? How did we become, how did the school system become a system that teaches and and, and, and creates, how did the school system create a nation, turn to turn, to create a nation full of sheep. Yes. 
Well, Charlotte Iserby's writings, I'm not sure if you've you come across any of her writings. I don't think so. The Deliberate Dumbing Down of America. Charlotte Iserby was appointed by President Ronald Reagan to be part of the Department of Education because his, his goal was to disband the Department of Education, and she was there to help facilitate that. She was brought in, and she had access to all the files. And what she discovered when she was brought in, you know, 1979, 1980, was that there, she saw all the paperwork of the plan that had already been laid out to set up a computerized school curricula for all children. It was actually not just all American children. It was all children all over the world. Bill Gates was participating in this at that time. Even back then? Yes. That's and snake. The, and the goal was to set to create a populace. This is Charlotte Iserby's interpretation of it after having looked at these documents. She said it was to be able to set up, to make the people mindless um, and you know, blindly obedient to authority, unable to think for themselves, unable to have critical thought, and just follow, follow the leader. And, where, and this goes back further than that, though. Let's yes. talk about John Dewey. Yes. What do we know about John Dewey? Because he's the father of our modern education system. Right. Well, John Dewey sure loved the Soviet Union. And he went, he spent some time there. He was real impressed with what he saw in the Soviet Union. And his colleagues went to China, um, and they did some experimenting with education. And they found that in one generation, they could revolutionize a society by revolutionizing the education. They could change the path. They could mold the citizenry into whatever kind of citizen they wanted to have. And he brought, helped bring that information into schools of education within higher education. He's one of the people that facilitated teaching the teachers how to teach um, America's children and up and coming generations to not have critical thought, to not be deep thinkers, but to just check the box. So, and this is something I would encourage our listeners to and our, our viewers to go and, and uh, just do a little search for uh, Wolf Keynes and uh, and John Dewey. They were both they were both devout Fabian socialists, yeah. and I mean they it was they they came right out and said it, and admitted it. And if you look at Fabian Socialist Society, uh, their logo is literally a wolf in sheep's clothing. Yep. <laughs> I mean, it's like literally yep. that is their logo is a literal wolf covered in sheep, yeah. uh, sheepskin. And and their philosophy because there was two philosophies. Okay, how do we take down America again? This is Marxism. And one philosophy is we'll take it down by military force. Well, that was what they were, obviously that failed. The other philosophy is no, you have to take it over from within. And incrementally, so, and, that, so the people don't notice. That's right. And so that was, that is literally the you know, Fabian socialist strategy. And John Dewey and, and Fabian, that's when they came in, who are the fathers of our modern school system. It was designed to basically instead of raising leaders and independent thinkers and entrepreneurs, we need factory workers. Yes. We need, we need people who will obey. We need, we need rats in the rat race. Mindless drones who will follow orders and not, not rock the boat, not try to usurp, not usurp power, but stay in their lane. And, um, yeah, they've definitely succeeded at that. Bingo. I mean, I think if they could look down and see how 20, what happened in 2020, how obedient we were as a society, how few people question authority, yeah. how few people question the news, you know, the news. Um, I mean, mission accomplished. Definitely. And with the addition of the woke Marxism, it's only ramped things up even more, the mindlessness. And also, I have to mention, give a mention to the, um, 
the computerized curricula that we have in so many of our schools in Utah, they're horrific. They're absolutely horrific. It, it, when kids are on the computer, especially little kids, I, and my son, I have a son who's school-aged, and um, we've done a mixture of homeschool and charter school, but even one of the charter schools he went to for kindergarten, it was on a laptop, like half of his curriculum. And you're not accessing, when you're writing things by hand and doing things by hand, you're accessing more of the brain. When you're just viewing a screen, especially if you're a little child, it puts you in your right brain to, of emotion and you're accepting everything um, uncritically. And it's, it's very easy to brainwash in those situations. And it's, yeah, I was pretty horrified. Thankfully, that's not, my son is not getting that type of education now. But many, many children, I'd say most of the children throughout Utah, from what I've seen, are using these curricula, these computerized curricula for a huge portion of their teaching. And we have a problem, I have a major problem with that. And we also, the SEL, again, where they're, that's the implementation wing for the critical, the woke critical theory, Marxism. Um, and again, you're right. This is, these things are being taught in our schools. Yeah. So tell us, okay, so tell us uh, what else in your book should our listeners though, uh, know about? What are some other th okay, points? Okay, so the other, one of the other tactics, um, there are three tactics, again, that I researched very heavily um, that the Soviets used to try to destroy Christianity. One was the propaganda. Number two was the selective oppression of certain troublesome Christian groups, mm. the ones that did not want to follow all government decrees, who did not want to, for instance, the Soviet Constitution granted freedom of religion on paper, but there was lots of strings attached to that, including they, they banned children being baptized at a certain point, um, they banned women's groups and children's groups for churches, and if someone wanted to be baptized, they had to have like a three-year waiting period. It was, they just, there was a lot of really oppressive things put in action for the registered churches and the ones that did not want to follow that, um, the underground Baptists, underground Pentecostals, underground Seventh-day Adventists in particular that I researched, they bore the brunt of much of the government oppression. They were public enemy number one in the Soviet Union. They had their, reading, their meetings raided. They would suffer arrests. You'd have, you know, Baptist preacher arrested, sent to the gulag for 10 years, Baptist choir director arrested, sent to the gulag for five years, the wife and 10 kids because they, that, the only form of birth control available in the Soviet Union was, was abortion, as you know, and these, these Christians would not participate in that. So they would have very large families. They would be unable to access higher education and good jobs because of their low social status, and so they would be forced to have menial jobs, so they were very, very poor. And then the husband would be sent off to the gulag, and the, the wife and the 10 kids would somehow have to figure out how to survive. Um, they were even, um, one tactic that was particularly disturbing was the internment of Christ some Christians in psychiatric institutions by force um, because they would be deemed to be, um, you know, they're obviously delusional because they believe they're hearing the voice of God. So that means they're insane. So they would get a psychiatrist to, to say, oh, you're insane. We're going to put you in the psychiatric hospital and force, you know, force you to take these psychotropic drugs. Yeah, that was done. Um, pretty commonly in the 70s, um, to, to certain, you know, the members of the Christian groups that were unapproved, these fringe Christian groups. And so, you know, there's just so many accounts of that. I'm definitely um, about actually making a documentary right now based on the content of my book, and there's going to be some really interesting stories of some of these Soviet Christians and what they went through. 
The third tactic, oh, let me just say how this applies to us in America. Yeah. Now, I don't know whether this was done, what I'm about to say, done specifically by people with a Marxist intent or if it's a byproduct because it was implemented by people who attended universities with a very strong leftist progressive. Um, but with, either way, it looks the same and I believe it, it's connected. And that is we have some Christian groups in America that have been the brunt of massive government oppression as well. We have the Branch Davidians of Waco, Texas in 1993. Um, definitely some questionable things going on there, but that doesn't mean those people deserved what they got. They did not deserve to die in flames. And there is forensic, very strong forensic evidence that the government torched them to death. And Why? I, you know, that's the thing is, it's like, <clears throat> I definitely was not awake I mean, I was young then. And yeah. so when you're young, you just kind of like take things on face value. Oh, the, you know, your teacher tells you this is what happened or the news tells you that. And so you just, if the news says it, it's true. Right. Yeah, why, why? Yeah, why would the government want to torch them? It's, it's complicated. They were not a threat to, to Texans. They were not a threat to their neighbors. They were not about to start going and randomly shooting people. They were not abusing their children. David Koresh was involved in polygamy. Um, and they did have an apocalyptic worldview, but they were targeted, I believe. I be from what from what I researched, it looks like they were chosen as like a guinea pig to give an example to the American people not to defy the government. Right after all this happened, this happened right after Bill Clinton was elected, like within like a couple months of his inauguration, um, the, his first inauguration. And as soon as that the whole thing ended and there was that fire and the people were killed, Bill Clinton came out and said, well, we see the lesson is here is don't join up with religious groups like this that, mm. that, you know, that have guns and do sketchy things. Stay mm. away from these cults because this could happen to you. Mm. Interesting. And there's a lot of other sketchy things there. Um, when you look at, you can go, actually, all the C-SPAN videos are up of the different trials that took place of the government's horrific actions. Um, and there's too many to name at this moment. Very interesting, I saw um, a few specific senators that were guard dogs. That anyone, anytime anyone tried to, any of the senators during this trial tried to insinuate that the government really made some big errors here, we had some certain senators come out, no, 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 it was the Branch Davidians, they wanted to kill everyone, they wanted to kill their kids. And who those senators were? We had Senator Joe Biden. Huh. We had um, Senator um, Chuck Schumer. Wow. We had Senator Orrin Hatch. And then we also had John Conyers, who I later discovered, um, I discovered this after I finished my book, that he was, there's a lot of Marxist ties with John Conyers. Interesting. They, they, they seemed to be very, had a very strong interest in making sure that the Branch Davidians were the ones that the, the Senate found to be to blame. Another fringe Christian group that I alluded to earlier, the FLDS. Again, I'm not a huge Warren Jeffs fan. I do think he's super sketchy and probably a sociopath. That doesn't mean that the people are all criminals. I, um, it doesn't mean that at all. And had to have their children taken from them wholesale, as what happened in 2008 in El Dorado, Texas, without any accusation against any specific person. And the whole way that they got in there for that raid to begin with was all false tip. It was a false premise that was very obviously false. And it looks like a setup from the start to take this religious group out. Um, there's a lot more involved with that. It'd be too lengthy to go into, but 
the moral of the story with that is, is even if there's a, a religious group that has some sketchy things, we need to not allow ourselves to believe everything we see on the news and hear. We need to, to look at both sides, and we need to ensure that there's due process. Yeah. So due process, due process. Um, the third tactic that the Soviets used to destroy Christianity is, is probably the scariest and is also the, probably one of the most effective, and that is the infiltration of the churches. In the case of the Soviet, Soviet Union, they were infiltrated with KGB agents to go into the seminaries and rise up into the clergy of different churches, the Russian Orthodox Church very much so, all of the churches, to attempt to, some of them were spies for the government, also they helped to steer policies of the church in different directions and mm. make it more palatable for communism and to kind of neuter the churches in a way. Do you feel like that's going on right now with Agenda 2030? Well, Agenda 2030 is the, the, the excuse me, the broader, the broader vision of what's happening. Yeah. Um, before I talk about that, let me just say that in terms of communist infiltration of churches in America, 100% that began happening over a century ago. There were people writing books about this in, in the 40s and 50s and calling out and trying to be, you know, sound a warning voice to the Christian world. Um, and well, what were they doing? Because I mean, it's like, what, 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 what could we look at and see as the result of the communist takeover of the churches? Like, okay. what, what would, what are we looking at? What, how do we know? What have they done? Okay. What was their objective? They changed. They, they, they tried to, and they did. So the National Council of Churches, or it was previously called the Federal Council of Churches, about half of America's Christian denominations currently belong to it and also have belonged to it since its inception, you know, over 100 years ago. And um, certain wealthy money bags groups such as the Rockefeller Foundation funded some of these communists to go in and to rise up to be part of seminaries to train up other pre um, preachers and pastors and clergy. And what they would do is they would instill, they would change doctrines. For instance, there was a, it became very popular um, amongst certain preachers in part of the National Council of Churches to deny things such as the virgin birth and to, to deny the divinity of Jesus. Mm. And that's very strange for a Christian pastor because the kernel of the, the unifying principle of Christianity, I thought, was that Jesus came to earth as God and right. bore the sins of everyone, died and was resurrected and, and is God. And and so for a Christian pastor, for that to be taught widely in the seminaries of, of churches belonging to the National Council of Churches and that to be spread throughout these different mainstream Christian um, denominations, that's very um, disturbing. The other thing, they began to replace um, the Christian tenet of getting to know God and becoming one with God with essentially almost looks like wokeism with um, the critical theory with the, um, the woke activism. And so getting people with social justice to get people, and it's really, you can see how tricky that is because it is part of Christianity to help the yeah. oppressed. Yeah. But to get people focused away from relationship with God and like dealing with sin and who cares about that, we're just gonna go and, and help the oppressed. Very, very sneaky and very tricky. Um, and that began to happen, and you even began to see, like in the 60s, the National Council of Churches putting out pamphlets that were encouraging promiscuity amongst teenagers, 
and being like, oh yeah, it's no big deal, and it's old fashioned, you know, wait till you're married, no, no, no. You know, that's very strange for a Christian organization to be putting stuff like that out. Well, you see churches now having drag shows in their churches. Yes. Uh, you go up to um, Fort Union. I think there's a Methodist church up there in Utah that has like, you know, gay flags hanging all over it, and and LGBTQ plus, and this the queer stuff, and the, yeah. I mean, Black Lives Matter on the church. Yeah. Oh yeah. And then going back, I'm going to backtrack a little further. Black liberation theology hit the scene in the 1960s. Liberation theology is Marxism. Liberation theology is how certain countries in Latin America, such as Colombia, were subverted to communism by um, working with Catholic priests who became Marxist agents, um, later found out, probably trained by the KGB, um, these um, Catholic priests that became these liberation theologists. Then we get black liberation theology here in America. The whole story of how that came about from what I was able to research is very sketchy, and it really looks like the... Reverend Cohn was put up to it by some KGB agents. But. So you feel like here in America that there's been a uh, takeover of a lot of our churches to some degree? It's not that I feel. It's documented. It's documented. It's completely documented, yes. And this is going back again over 100 years. This does not even go into... Do you believe it's all major churches? Um, all major churches in America, and I make this point in my book, we should assume that any major church has been a target for infiltration, whether it's communist infiltration or infiltration of other dark forces. And in fact, Jesus himself warned that there would be wolves in sheep's clothing and to beware of them. So we should assume that every major church is, has been targeted for infiltration. And then if we see the fruits of that, then, then you know. I mean, I think a clear fruit of that in today's world would be talking and promoting, you know, the, you know, Charles uh, Schwab's Agenda 2030 and mm -hmm. sustainable, you know, all his, all those yes. talking points that yes. uh, Bill Gates and Schwab's is, is pushing. Yes. Yes. Let me tell you in regards to this and some other things. After I wrote my thesis, there's one major point that I, that I came to as, because I was looking at my thesis after I finished it in 2004 and I was like, I was like, this is going to apply to America somehow. I don't know how. Yeah. But the main point I came to is what are the what are the features of those churches? This was the point of my thesis that were most associated with success, like and which which tactics were most associated with success, tactics and features, and which were most associated with failure within the Soviet Union. And what I found is that the the Pentecostal underground Pentecostals did the best. They had the most highly decentralized structure, um, meaning that. They did have leaders, but the leaders were of less importance than the individual. They had what they called the priesthood of the believer, where they encouraged people to ask God, what is your individual role? And people would feel called to go proselytize over there, go go do that. They didn't have to have some authority. So directing. the more structured the organization was. The more centralized. The more centralized, the easier it was for the KGB to get and in, in, infiltrate it. Well. And, and make impacts throughout the whole, the whole organization. If it's more highly, the, the church that broke my heart when I researched this, the underground Seventh-day Adventists, because I really, really was impressed with these people. But they were a very highly centralized church. And once their inner circle was breached, it destroyed that church. As far as I could tell, when I was finishing my thesis, there was no evidence of them still in existence. 
and the Baptists were kind of in the middle, but the Pentecostals, it was the individuals were empowered to have their connection with God and to fulfill whatever function they personally felt called to. So if you take a pastor out, another person pops right yeah. up to take his place. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. We're coming in the last five minutes. Um, what would what would be your warning or your uh, the, your the last thing you'd want our listeners to to hear the most important message you'd have for them? In my mind, um, and this does definitely connect with the greater agenda twenty thirty. Um, what we we only have power over certain things. I don't have power over what materials Disney chooses to put out. I don't have control over whether or not they choose to in, involve you know woke. Marxist gender theory in their programming. I can just choose not to have my son watch that. But when it comes to the schools and the churches, really and truly, we have more power, the people do. What we need to do is we need to learn and understand this agenda within the schools, within the churches, and take this information to our school boards, to the principals, probably the school boards mostly. Um, and I've, this is something I've helped to do down in Washington County and be like, look, these are the things that are part of this Marxist plot. This needs to be removed from our schools, the highly sexualized books. We need to get those out. The social and emotional learning programs created by Marxists that are training our children to be woke social justice activists. We need to not have that as a part of that, our schooling and those different aspects of things. Um, and we also, same with our churches. Whatever church a person belongs to, we need to understand what these different red flags of communist infiltration are and take this to our leaders and be like, look, I see this happening. What what can we do about this? And and maybe in some cases there can be changes enacted and, and there can be, you know, a removal of those Marxist elements. And then if not, then we need to consider that we remove ourselves. What was the end cost of uh, this of what what was the toll it took on on uh Soviet Union on the, on the citizens and the middle class went for not standing up and stopping it? Well, there wasn't much middle class. The middle class was very, very small. Um, and certainly the people had been oppressed under the, you know, the Russian monarchy as well. But the cost to not standing up, I mean, the, the fruits of communism are impoverishment, enslavement, and death. Yeah, I think that's, to me, the thing that terrifies me is, you know, you read the Gulag Archipelago, you look at how many, the, you know, they, they don't, the thing is they can't even keep, they can't even, they don't even have records. So many people died, they can't even keep track of it, but they're right. estimating over 100,000 people, uh, 100 million people murdered by this, by this regime. Um, and again, the brunt of it was Christians. It's you. <laughs> It's us. That's what's to me so scary. It's not, you know, it's not the uber rich. You know, it's not the it's not the poor. It's 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 the people who will want to resist it. It's the people who who stand up against it. It was the people who questioned it. It's the people who were not enthusiastically clapping until their hands were sore right. that got arrested. It's it was the people who anyone who was looked like they possibly didn't weren't you know, huge fans of, of, of the, of Stalin, they were arrested. Yeah. Anyone who worshiped God over a state was arrested and, and over a hundred million people were killed. So look, history repeats itself. You know, there's a reason, you know, we people who talk about Marxism, we're afraid of Marxism, we're afraid of, because 
Marxism has killed more people than any pandemic we can even fathom. The deadliest form of government. And its, and its tentacles are all over our country, and it's like you can see it everywhere in our classrooms. I mean, you they literally have a textbook, a, a this is their strategy of taking over a country. And you can literally look, and we are almost every pillar has been reached here in America. Absolutely. So, Julie, uh, thank you. How can people find you? How can they uh, follow you? Tell, give us your information. Yeah, my website is beneathsheepsclothing.com. You can find me there. Also, my book, Beneath Sheep's Clothing, is on Amazon. And currently working on a documentary on the, all this material, working to get the word out. Not everyone has time to read a book, but more people will watch a documentary. If you have any desire to support the documentary, please email me at beneathsheepsclothing at gmail.com. So again, you know, the last thing I'll share is we talked about this takeover of the schools. Uh, there is a reason these things aren't taught in our schools. And it goes to that quote by, was it Henry, John Henry, Henry Clark. Powerful people cannot afford to educate the people they oppress. Because once you are truly educated, you will not ask for power. You will take it. Yes. God bless you. God bless America. Read her book. Let's freaking take this country back. Absolutely. <laughs> God bless you guys. Yeah. 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 Yeah.